Well, folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you as pretty much always. And I always like to give you a little update or a little preview, I should say, of what is going on later on in the show before we jump right in here. Uh, For our inbox, we have a listener who wants to know whether or not it's wise to have communication with an ex. And if so, at what level and what's the timing on that? I'm going to go ahead and answer that question. And then for our culture segment, John Stone Street, who's the president of the Colson Center, along with our own Robin Chambers from Focus on the Family, are going to be here to talk about the implications of Roe v. Wade being overturned if, in fact, that happens. And I know that's been very much in the news lately. It's a historic moment if and when it happens. But what does that look like? What's life after Roe going to look like? What can we as Christians be doing in the meantime? Um, How do we really approach this whole topic and other people biblically in light of this. So stay tuned for that. Well, here we are for our roundtable. If you listened last week, you know that we did part one of this conversation on the impact of your family of origin on who you are today and how you show up in life, in relationships, all of that kind of stuff. We're going to continue that conversation right here, right now. And I've got Josh, Glenn, and Brittany back. Hey, y'all. Hey, Lisa. Hi. All right. Okay. So last week we talked a lot about just kind of our own stories and what it looked like, things that we were like aha moments of like, oh, okay. So wait a minute. Um, We don't just, you know, completely uh, wear ourselves out serving other people, or we don't just randomly, you know, the the person who yells the loudest is going to win. Brittany, bless her heart, just had a fantastic family, but now she has a boyfriend who's like, "Um, hello, I'm here too. So... uh, (laughs) So we find that we all have our stuff and it's so great when we can be honest about it and just, um, you know, real in this sense. And so, um, okay, I want to kind of start out by talking because we talked a lot about our, our families and none of us are like 12 years old. So we have some history here. Where are you? What is your relationship with your family today look like? What have you had to do? Or, you know, have have you had to draw boundaries in certain areas? Have you had to have conversations with family members around certain things? Have you had to, I mean, how, where has it gotten real? What has happened? Has there been any growth in these relationships? Um, as an adult, what does that look like to take where you were um, in your upbringing and translate it into where you are today as you relate to family members? For me, I know that... I had mentioned that I probably tell my parents too much and Mm -hmm. maybe disclose more than I should. So a boundary that I have drawn, which who knows if they actually know it's been drawn. So if they're listening, (laughs) they'll find out now that there actually are things now that, you know, I keep to myself or certain decisions that I do make without asking them first, which makes it sound like I'm five. But (laughs) honestly, it has made a difference because where they were when they were in their younger 20s versus the direction I've gone is very different. Not that one way is necessarily better, but that comes with making different decisions. And so learning to make those myself and not always go to them for guidance, even though they are very wise and have great advice, sometimes it is probably helpful for me to make a little bit of a wrong turn and fall down a little bit because you know, bailing's the best way to learn and you got to pick yourself up and keep going. Hmm. That's very good. Yeah. Yeah. I um, mentioned last week just that the, the volatility of the home I grew up in. And now that I have kids, 
one of the realities was that that we face as parents is that volatility didn't really cease mm. and and having kids and their grandkids didn't completely cause that to cease and so we have limitations on the kind of time we spend together like we're always with our kids and um we don't really just drop them off at mom at grandma and grandpa's because mm. we want to make sure that they're not experiencing things that aren't safe and healthy for them mm -hmm. uh, for our kids so yeah we have boundaries on communication and time together and it's i would in no way would i call that the ideal mm -hmm. right like i wouldn't want to say this is the prescriptive for people who have a relationship that was hard with their family but you have a responsibility to raise your kids in, in the knowledge and admonition of the lord and if grandma and grandpa are screaming at one another because they're they're not deciding that this isn't the time and the place to do this in front of grandkids, then you got to do something that says I'm going to put the well-being of those kids ahead of their maybe desire to even see them mm -hmm. uh, as much, which is not preferential, but seems wise and best to me. So now, does that was this a conversation at some point, Josh, where you're like, uh, because you scream, here's why the kids are not going to just be with you. I, I mean, it's always <clears throat> mystifying to me when you actually have like what you think are legit conversations with people and then they just blow you off. Mm -hmm. And when there's no growth, because we can't grow for other people, you know, you just have to mm -hmm. adjust to where they're willing to what they're willing to do. Yeah. So so yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, not as much about the kids. But in one particular instance, there was high volume, lots of hostility towards me in a conversation. And what I did is I, I involved my wife because the conversation was just between my parent and I. Mm. And I brought my wife into the picture. And what happened is as soon as that happened, the volume changed, the, the, the tone changed, everything changed. And I, I had this like light bulb moment from the Lord that, oh, if there's accountability around mm from people who didn't grow up in the home and it's not the normal, yeah. then they behave different. Yeah. And so by by forcing that situation, and, and, and then I told my parents, I said, I'm going to always have my wife with me now yeah. in conversations. And essentially, we will never again have a conversation just between you and I because you can't exercise self-control when you're unhappy about the outcome of a conversation. And that has pretty much been the tenor of the of our relationship since. Um, so I haven't reiterated that with the kids in mind, um, but I practice it with the kids in mind. Hmm. Okay, good point. My parents are both now with the Lord. They died some years back, um, so I don't have the opportunity with them. But I was just thinking about a word that was kind of a lot in the Lutchen's lexicon, <laughs> and that is the word muck. Most people have never heard of that. It's a synonym to the word pout. And so, you know, we would kind of, we'd pull in, our feelings would be held inside, we'd kind of give the lower lip, you know, um, but the importance of being able to give voice to it. And, and there's a scenario now where probably in the next couple of months, I do need to touch base with someone, mm -hmm. uh, extended family, and just be honest about how something feels and let the chips fall where they may, but to be truthful about it as opposed to muck and yeah. keep it all inside. <laughs> Um, Glenn, I know when we were talking before we taped, you had a great idea about um, a suggestion for a young adult listening to have a conversation with their parents of just, you know, again, it seems like we wait to address things until we're in like the heat of a moment or there's some kind of conflict or something isn't right or someone's not showing up right. But to do that in a neutral way and a neutral, talk a little bit right. about that. Well, I was at that time I was living at home 
Bergen County, New Jersey is probably one of the most expensive counties to live in. So <laughs> paid rent and was uh, counseling. And a lot of times when I would counsel with people, I would encourage them to have a dialogue mm-hmm. with, with their parents. And I'm like, okay, if I'm telling people they need to do that, have I done that? <laughs> no, I haven't. So <laughs> I sat down with my mom and dad and just shared with them what, for, I started out with what I appreciated. Mm-hmm. Here are the things. And there were many things that I appreciated about the training in the Lord, just a, a biblical understanding of things. There was never a time where I came down on a, in a morning where my mom didn't have her Bible in concordance and was listening to, you know, Robert A. Cook and uh, Charles mm-hmm. Stanley and others. Focus on the family was on there t- at times, too. So there were many things that I really enjoyed. So I started out with the things that I appreciated. And then I shared with them some things that I wished were different. In that particular, my experience at that point, uh, they were very accepting and and appreciated my openness with them. Uh, I realize that's going to vary. Some people are going to, you know, Mm -hmm. some people are going to mook and say, I can't believe that you you didn't appreciate what we did for you. Mm -hmm. But their openness to it, I think, was extremely helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. What, um, let's back it up a little bit, because I think, like, when as I think of this, how easy it is for all of us to figure out, and of course, we know this because scripture talks about our own sinfulness, and how, you know, it's like, hey, uh, the whole speck and log situation. It's very easy for us to wish that other people would change and to be like, okay, clearly, this behavior is not okay, and blah, blah, blah. But what would you recommend are some good exercises or what's a good starting point for the person who wants to examine themselves and see, are there patterns of un- unhealth? Are there things in my own life? Like, how do they even know the difference between what might be something that could merit some change versus, you know, okay, well, let's not worry about that. But here are some things really to go after. How, where do they start? Yeah, I would I would immediately just say, first of all, uh, upbringing is... Uh, influential, but it's not determinative. We are not stuck um, a certain way because we were brought up in any kind of home. Uh, If you grew up in an abusive home, you do not have to be an abuser. If you grew up in a great home, that doesn't mean you're going to be a great parent or or friend or family member. So it's influential heavily, but not determinative. But when I have looked at my life and I've said, okay, I personally have gone through a lot of influence that was not Christ-like, was not godly, some of it has been, okay, let's be honest. Monkey see, monkey do. If I've seen this in my parents, I probably have the propensity for it. And then when you have enough conflicts, you know, over time, you're like, actually, I kind of remember when mom used to do that to me. And you start, you just have a, a, an honesty about it with yourself. But then you have to have community. You have to have community who's willing to say, do you see this? You have to open that door where you're giving people permission, the opportunity and the permission to say, there's this thing you do, this way in which you relate. It's not always appreciated or it's not always loving, and you have to take an honest look. Mm-hmm. And and so some stuff, the Lord, just because of the Holy Spirit and the way that the Word of God reveals things to us, we will see it ourselves as we're seeking the Lord. But then there's a, time, a lot of times when he's going to use his people to help us see what we cannot see because the log is so big. And regardless of how you get made aware of it, you got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I would agree with Josh there as far as just being willing to ask people and, and let them shine light in your life. I would say another key element is it's not just about the thoughts. It's the willingness to feel. And so often we don't want to touch the stove again. 
I mean, the idea of touching painful things, I mean, that's in the past. How many times do people say, you know, I'm not going to resurrect the past. It's already, that's already happened. Well, if you don't lean into it, and Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mm-hmm. It's a promise. And so that willingness to be open to touching those painful things unleashes and allows then those new patterns to develop by God's spirit. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I think touching on what Glenn and Josh said, kind of on the other side of it, I think for the people that are looking to actually ask those questions and figure it out for the receiver, it's just important to have a listening ear and to not be judgmental. I had a friend kind of in a situation like you just just described, Glenn, where he had a lot of things that went on in his past and just never addressed them and started really struggling in life and couldn't figure out why and drove a lot of people away. And he called me like a year and a half after my last contact with him and was like, I know that you're willing to listen and that you always cared. And I just, I want to know what I can work on. And so asking questions and being able to be vulnerable enough to ask questions is important because I don't feel like everyone has a knack for just being able to rely on people and feel comfortable enough to let people in. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, I mean, even your story illustrates so well, Brittany, how, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, no, I mean, you know, I feel like my relationships are so great. But kind of that concept of like too much of a good thing. I mean, if you're Mm -hmm. so comfortable and so content in the relationships you have, it can be very hard for you to to move or to grow or to, you know, so again, even even looking at some of the good things and the good experiences we've had can be a good exercise as well in realizing or, you know, being in a situation where, you know, I grew up in an intact home, my parents, you know, were together. Um, Again, I said they always loved me and stuff like that. It can be easy then to in conflict with someone else or in, in being in relationship with someone else be like, well, then obviously you you must be the problem because I came from this great home or I have all these great structures behind me or I learned mm-hmm. this or whatever. So it really is interesting looking at that in general. Yeah, I like what Josh said earlier about how, you know, even if you grew up in an intact home, that doesn't mean you're going to be a great parent. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're going to be a great spouse even. Like it's something to work on and it's something to strive for Mm -hmm. and I like that because I do feel like I came from a pretty stable environment but not that I didn't know that it was something that would take work but just always having something to push yourself and learn and grow and be willing to Mm -hmm. be vulnerable enough to yeah one thing I'd like to get a little bit of insight on from y'all because we hear from so many listeners to the show and and whatnot who are like, well, Lisa, I seem to be fine. Like, you know, I've like Brittany, I've, I've moved away. I'm kind of like living my life. I have my friends. I'm in a church. But every time I go home, it's like I'm 12 years old again and the same pattern surface. My parents don't think I'm a functioning adult. And it's just very easy. It's kind of like when I tease my friends from the South of like the minute they go back home, all of a sudden they're like, hi, y'all. And it's like everything comes back, you know, and it's so funny. Yeah, the accents (laughs) come back, the, the verbiage comes back and all that. 
What would be your advice to that person who just feels like they get trapped in this cycle of going back to old patterns and and they want to love their parents and they want to love their family where they are, but they're just like, oh, I can't keep going back to this. I would say an important part is to first, before you go, just be in a state of prayer and focus on who am I? Mm-hmm. Who am I in Christ? What is my identity? You know, I think of the verse in Psalm uh, 27 verse 10, one of the translations says, mother or father may forsake, but the Lord will not. Mm-hmm. And when I'm not feeling confident, and it might even be a scenario where nobody's really thinking about it, except the person who's feeling like they're 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what are those things maybe that bring a person to that experience? And maybe they can share that with them. I, I want to be respected. I want to be valued. Mm-hmm. And maybe even to look for what are some ways which maybe that is taking place so those can be accentuated. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's good. Only being out of college for about a year, I, de- I would even say most of my friends kind of had that feeling where, oh, I'm so excited to go see my family, but also, oh my gosh, a month of winter break, like I cannot last that long. I'm going to go crazy. It's going to be too much. Like maybe I'll only stay for two weeks and then go somewhere else. Um, And I think a lot of conversations that I had, it had to do with God being your safe haven, like kind of what you said, Glenn, just praying about it and seeking the Lord in those times, but also just being grateful for the time that you are spending. Like, you know, your parents brought you into this world. So be grateful that you get to spend time with them and maybe don't use that time to try to really initiate the change for those two weeks that you're there. (laughs) Like just kind of go with the flow and be happy to even just be there. I know for me, when I felt like that at times, that's really helped me when I'm like, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I um, I just wanted to kind of ask one last question here because it made me think of this before we finish this out. And it's kind of a little bit of a two-parter in the sense of let's help folks because you've shared your own stories, which I think kind of helps people be like, oh, yeah, you know, that's me too, or I never thought of that or whatever. But are there any other general categories of like areas where you would say, patterns are going to show up like the common ones that I think of are there's going to be something around boundaries probably where you haven't (laughs) thought that through or established it Um, probably around conflict maybe issues around codependency Um, there are some you know things related there so that kind of like what are some other areas that people should be on the lookout for that you've seen either in yourself um, or in others And then also when you show up uh, with family members or even with other people now, friends, and you're trying to relate to a person and they basically give you the, well, that's just how I am. That's my personality. That's just take it or leave it kind of thing. You know, again, I think as Christians, we get, we dig ourselves into this hole because we're so busy trying to be Christian or whatever, that then we we tend to just ignore or let a lot of things slide or think that being a Christian and loving other people is just ignoring stuff. So what would you say as, as people are starting to move ahead with this and say, okay, what, what do I need to go after? What are your thoughts around that? Well, you ask as, as far as different um, things to be on the lookout for, by way of story, whenever my wife and I early on in our marriage would return back to her family, which she has a good relationship with, she would default into this behavior of childlikeness mm-hmm. where um, she would kind of act 
silly and immature with her siblings who were also adults. Uh, <laughs> and she would kind of just like treat her mom a little bit like mom was there for, to do stuff for her rather than pitching in as a fellow mm. like adult. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where you categorize it, but you know, scripture talks about putting off when you were a child, you, you act like a child when you're an adult, you act like an adult. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's something to that. Like don't re-enter a situation that is familiar and act childish, pursue Christ likeness, which is maturity and act differently, act the way you should and be intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to your point, you're about, this is just the way I am. No Christian should ever have that mentality mm-hmm. because sanctification is all about constantly pursuing Christ-likeness, which means we never stop pursuing maturity. Mm-hmm. Now, we may go through seasons where it's more evident mm-hmm. uh, and other times when it's not, but we should never stop pursuing it. So if anyone ever, as a Christian, concludes, well, this is just the way I am, mm-hmm. then they've given up the fight in, in, in on some level of pursuing Christ-likeness, and that's totally unacceptable. Well, you guys, we are out of time, but I certainly appreciate this. Um, A lot of great thoughts here, a lot of great stories and just learnings from one another um, as to really what this looks like and how, honestly, we have to avail ourselves of grace and (laughs) be willing, Mm -hmm. you know, Josh, you said it, to just be willing to change and be willing to mature. And I think that's great. So thank you guys so much for weighing in on this. Good thoughts. Yeah, thanks for talking through this. Was in the dark, all alone. I could barely breathe. This heart, I'm tethered to. All I've known felt so incomplete. The darkness fades. My soul awakes. I feel the change. Well, hey, everyone. We are here for this week's culture segment, and I am going to preface this by letting you know that we are recording this in May. So um, we're kind of looking a little bit forward uh, about this conversation. And so take that uh, into consideration as you hear what we have to say here today. But anyway, um, we are having a conversation today with John Stone Street and Robin Chambers around Roe v. Wade and the... um, as we're recording now, the leak that happened in uh, early May uh, from the Supreme Court related to Roe v. Wade. And just so you know, um, I mean, you probably know him. John Stone Street uh, is president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. He hosts uh, daily the radio show Breakpoint, and uh, that was actually founded by Chuck Colson himself. 
and also speaks a ton. He's an author. He's an apologist. So, John, welcome. Great Thanks so much. You here. Good to be here. And also our own Robin Chambers is here. Uh, Robin is the Executive Director of Advocacy for Children here at Focus on the Family and uh, is knee-deep in preparation for our own Sea Life 2022 event that's coming up just uh, basically next week, those of you that are hearing this now. So, Robin, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. Okay, well, we thought that it would be great for us to kind of get an umbrella picture of what is going on, has gone on, where we are with this whole thing. So I'm just going to jump right in. Okay, when this leak came out, I want to ask both of you, first of all, what was your reaction? Is this something that anyone expected? You guys are in this like daily, these conversations. I mean, I feel like this is something that among my friends, we just figure, would this have ever even come down? How did these discussions come about? What were your reactions when you heard? I was actually quite surprised uh, with yeah. the process surrounding this decision and the arguments and the discussions that have gone on. Um, my assumption um, was that everything was confidential. Everything would be held pretty close until the final decision had come out. I was quite surprised and disappointed, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is disappointing. Uh, the, what, the ruling that came out or the opinion draft that was leaked wasn't disappointing. It was actually uh, hopeful uh, because of uh, what so many of us had hoped for for a long time. But yeah, I mean, this is there's two stories here. One is what's going to happen to Roe v. Wade and what does this do to the credibility of the court? Mm-hmm. This is unheard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go back to Roe v. Wade, it was leaked, I believe, the day of what the decision would be. And that was chaotic. Mm-hmm. This is months, a month or so before the decision is leaked. And not only what the decision would be, but an actual draft of the opinion that was mm-hmm. then confirmed the next day by the chief justice. Uh, so this is institutional chaos, essentially, which you've heard Justice Thomas even allude to and uh, Justice Roberts allude to uh, in reacting to the leak itself. Yeah. So was crafting the opinion a surprise to y'all? I mean, I, I feel like give us a primer on the legal implications uh, of this as far as a monumental historic decision if this happens. So Roe has gone unchallenged now for four or five decades, despite the fact that jur- uh, scholars of jurisprudence on both the right and the left have kind of looked at it and said it's not good law. It wasn't done well. Uh, even um, uh, the late uh, Justice Ginsburg admitted as much, even though she was fully on the side of legalized abortion. So the fact that now, decades into this, there's a big crack in this, that's huge. Uh, also, who wrote this opinion? That's a big deal, too. Because you have people, obviously, on uh, the pro-abortion side, you have uh, judges on the pro life side. And then you have in the middle, Justice Roberts. And if he had written the opinion, the I think the, the, the lead of the story would be some kind of third way compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was either Alito or Thomas writing this opinion. That is a good sign for those of us who think Roe needs to go. And the fact that it was Alito himself, that is a good sign. And then you look at it, and it was classic Alito, just brilliant, scholarly dismantling, historical, philosophical, legal dismantling of this, what really was uh, mm-hmm. past 1972. Yeah. So we have got, and, and again, you guys were recording this ahead of time. We're now at the end of May here, but we have got uh, an event basically that we have planned uh, coming up here on June 14th, Sea Life 2022. And we have had conversations. I know Robin and I have been in conversations about what will it look like if this decision 
comes down, you know, beforehand. But regardless of our event, we know that many people have already predicted and many people have already threatened violence um, uh, related to this decision. What do we do as believers? What do you think are the implications um, as this happens culturally within our cities, as the, you know, within the church? What should Christians do? How should we respond? And honestly, how can Christians, how can we position ourselves to just not be jerks in the midst of all this. I mean, I think that is something that we need to be prayerful about um, fear, either, on either side of this, fearful, crazy, or just outright jerks with a lot of, um, you know, neener, 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 we told you so, blah, 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 we're winners, you're losers, whatever. What does that look like, the, the temperature there? That's a great question, Lisa. And what we're hearing from our pregnancy medical centers that are on the front lines, they really are on the front lines in this battle. Um, they've been targeted um, by a very angry mob. It's a very um, angry mob mentality right now. The other side is selling fear. They're doing a great job of selling fear. So our responsibility is to counter that with the hope. Um, we don't engage in anger. We don't engage in the same type of um, vitriol, but what we do is have conversations. And so what we're hearing from the pregnancy centers, which I think is brilliant, is the folks that are coming and protesting, they're inviting them in and saying, come have a conversation with us. Come tour our centers and let us tell you what we do. Let us tell you why we're in this battle and why we're here for women and their unborn children. And so to me, that's the solution is to have that conversation without the anger, without the vitriol um, and not responding in the same way. Um, and you're right. I don't want this to be a we're going to do a victory lap because we've won. Mm -hmm. To me, that's a very flawed mindset to think that we the pro-life side has won because abortion doesn't go away it goes to the state level and so it's still an opportunity for the church the big c church to be involved but in a way that you're still loving but you're not compromising on the truth but you're also not engaging in that mob mentality and responding in the same way. Yeah, and I definitely want to get into that because the implications in our homes, in our churches, in our communities is going to be huge. Um, it, it should be now, but it definitely will when it turns to the states if it does. John, I would love for you to, I'm just going to give a little bookmark here, or I want you to bookend an apologetic here around one question that I feel is asked all the time. And I know that you guys in this space talk through this all the time, but I want you to do it again, because what I am seeing now and have seen historically from everyone on social media, I feel like the most compelling emotional argument that someone who is on the pro-abortion, pro-choice side is, why should the government be able to tell women what they can or can't do about this very private, personal choice? And then they will turn to us and say, Christians slash conservatives or whatever you want to call yourself, I thought y'all are all about the government getting out of your business. So why is this any different? Tell us what your response to that would be. Well, I believe in a woman's right to choose all kinds of things. She should be able to choose, um, you know, what she's going to wear, where she lives, you know, whether or not she gets married, uh, whether or not she wants to, and you know, try to get pregnant. All of these things are choices that are within the, the realm of constitutional rights. The fundamental question that gets overlooked 
uh, in this whole thing is what is the nature of, of the preborn? Is it human? Is it not human? Fascinating enough, there's been this whole series of articles over the last couple of weeks. NPR ran it, which said, you know, religions disagree on when life begins, which shouldn't be surprised because religions disagree on all kinds of things. Religions don't even agree about who God is and whether we're God or God somebody else. So the fact that they disagree uh, shouldn't be surprising. But what science is clear on, and what I mean mean by that is every embryology textbook and many pro-choice uh, advocates themselves agree on is when life begins, that before conception, you have an egg and a sperm. After conception, now you have a distinct living human being. Uh, it's at a different stage of development than all of us. Uh, it's at a different uh, degree of dependency than many of us. But there's nothing in and of itself that differentiates you know, what that is back then, who we were back then to who we are now, that would justify killing it. The law regulates the taking of life because you have to in a society in order to live at peace. All we're saying is that this is a, another human being whose life needs to be protected. Mm -hmm. um, anytime in, in, in human history, but specifically in American history, where we've left some group of people out of the category of valuable human being, uh, we've regretted it. We've rightfully swept those bad policies, laws, and Supreme Court decisions into the dustbin of history, which was, by the way, another interesting part of Justice Alito's uh, opinion, where he dealt with precedent, which is one of the big legal arguments for keeping Roe. He went back and said, look, we've had to go back on decisions in the past, and we go back on decisions if they're morally wrong. Uh, this is a morally wrong thing to do. Now, how do we take care of women who find themselves in vulnerable situations? What do we do with uh, caring for women who maybe are pregnant even against their own will? That is a very, very important conversation that needs to be had on a, on a culture-wide level. And thankfully, uh, you know, as Robin pointed out a few minutes ago, we have pregnancy resource centers and others that are in every community in America that provide that sort of assistance. Mm -hmm. But the fundamental question of abortion is what is the, what is the preborn? Yeah. If it's a human, it's deserving of respect. Yeah. Uh, everything we know from philosophy uh, to science, from embryology, 4D ultrasound technology, tells us what this thing is, that it's not a thing, that it's yeah. a human being. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so great, great to mention, because again, I think it's, you know, hey, y'all, science is on our side and increasingly on our side in this. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a few weeks ago who is uh, very much um, would consider herself uh, pro-choice, is in favor of abortion. And she just recently had a baby and was talking about, um, yeah, you know, so her pregnancy and she was referencing blah, 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 and the baby. And then she corrected herself and said, well, I mean fetus. And <laughs> I was like, hey, but is a fetus a baby? And so we kind of went back and forth a little bit there. And you know, it's, it, she kind of shut it down. If I can jump in, it's interesting yeah. even the number of pro-choice advocates recently. Um, you know, uh, Peter Singer, for example, who not only advocates for abortion, but also advocates for infanticide up to a certain after birth, says, look, it, it doesn't do us any good to pretend that this isn't a living a human being. Mm -hmm. um, uh, years ago, the president of NARAL in, I think it was Vanity Fair magazine, wrote a piece and said, it doesn't do us any good to say it's not a life. Mm -hmm. It is a life, but it's a life worth sacrificing. So if you look at the most uh, articulate out front 
pro-abortion spokespersons, they're admitting that it's a human life, Mm -hmm. but justifying it from some social cause or some other reason. If you go back to, uh, you know, the days of of slavery and the subjugation of African-Americans, it it reached that point as well, where there was an admission, yeah, it's, it's a human being, but... It's a human being that and then dot, dot, dot. There was all these qualifications. Mm -hmm. And those qualifications were used to justify something that was unjustifiable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we're at right now. Okay. Well, let's talk about um, if Roe v. Wade is struck down. um, Robin, you alluded to the fact that decisions will go to the states. Talk about the implications there. Again, we need a primer here for those of us who aren't in the the weeds of all the, the implications, the documentation, all of that. It going back to the states, what does that mean? What does it mean for funding of places like Planned Parenthood? What does it mean for women and what the you know how the decisions are made with the power of each state to make decisions? Talk us through that. Yeah, what we're seeing in um, just preparation um, of the decision being overturned is uh, the decision to either allow abortion through forty weeks. Uh, any any reason abortion like what Colorado recently did we have the most radical abortion laws in the United States right now and so we've seen that extreme in preparation for this decision coming down but we've also seen on the other side um, protection for those women and their children abortion bans like what we saw in Texas you know six weeks abortion ban 15 week uh, pain capable bans Um, we've seen laws like that that are going into the state legislation that is designed to protect women and their children Um, we applaud that we applaud those legislators that are stepping up um, and really kind of taking heat you know for making those decisions but again it's in protection of women women and their children and Lisa that's one of the things we get accused of, of we only care about the baby this really is designed to protect that woman and give her all the information that she needs to make an informed decision. That's what those bans are really designed to do. Um, I recently had someone ask me, you know, if we were absolutism, we, we don't want any bans. And I said, well, take the bans while we're also making abortion unthinkable. That's what comes back to the states. And then when those states start saying, we're going to ban it this week or this week or this week, that's when we see big C church coming alongside those women and saying, we'll support you. You don't have to make this decision. We can walk a decision through with you making an adoption plan, parenting. What does that look like full term or long term for her to thrive mm-hmm. um, as a parent, um, still having a career, still having a college education? Um, that allows the states to really step in and start looking at programs that are designed to serve that woman and her child and her family long-term. That gives us an opportunity, us being the pro-life side, to step in and say, we do care about women long-term. We're pro-life, we're pro-love, we're pro-woman, and we're pro-baby. So again, going back to the state level, and I think we'll see... We'll see the extremes. We'll see the Colorado-type laws coming into place. But I think we're going to see more states um, desiring to um, protect women and recognizing, like John said, that that is a human being, separate DNA, Mm -hmm. just a different location, different development stage. And that will give us an opportunity to start speaking into that. Yeah. I think it's been interesting to see. I've I've seen several lists come out already of proposed declarations of states of where they would fall uh, on that line. It's kind of neat to neat to see that in some of the decisions that are already being proposed. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about what this looks like practically for the person. You know, we're talking. You know, the twenty something, thirty something who might be listening here, who's like, okay. 
how do I even have this conversation and how do I love people in my family who are on the opposite side of this issue? Um, Maybe people in my workplace, they now know I'm a Christian. They're going to make assumptions. I mean, I talked to a precious older saint a week ago who was like, well, you know, these murderesses. And I'm like, okay, well, Let's maybe have that conversation about how we address that. How how do we do this so that we show that we really are, again, like you said, Robin, making this unthinkable and caring about people as real people and not just as a project or some kind of piece of uh, legislation in the wake of this? I, I think the most important thing we need to do in right now uh, as the noise from the leak till the decision uh, has increased and and when the decision does come down, and we're not sure how much that opinion will be changed, there will be a big wake. There will be a lot of noise. Uh, you mentioned earlier violence um, and uh, threats of violence. Part of this is there is a um, an erratic and hysterical m- misinformation, a set of misinformation that's going out. And so I think one of the first things that everyday Christians can do to bring peace is be really clear on what's happening. Abortion will not be banned. There will not be women subjugated to wearing, you know, Puritan pilgrim costumes like we see in some of these protests. This has nothing to do with The Handmaid's Tale or anything like it. What it basically does is remove the thing that has been in American culture for a long time that basically nixed any sort of restriction on abortion rights from the very beginning. That's what's so unique about the Dobbs versus Jackson women's health case that is being decided on. Up until now, any sort of restriction basically was dead on arrival because of these categories of viability and accessibility. That removes this, and and we'll put it back to the states to determine. As Robin mentioned, we're going to have a very divided United States. So we need to be really clear on when a a state like Colorado, New York, California says, you know, we're protecting a woman's right to choose— What they are essentially putting into place is state laws that are more radical than what abortion rights look like nationwide uh, during Roe. Mm -hmm. This is really important. Mm -hmm. You will have attempts to drive taxpayer funding, state-level taxpayer funding, to uh, Planned Parenthood services and abortion services. Uh, Some states are even kicking around tourism industries where basically women are are reimbursed to fly to states where abortion access is available. And, and then, of course, late-term partial birth. And this is not where most Americans are. Mm-hmm. Most Americans, uh, according to the polls, want that kind of possibility of abortion, but they want pretty strict restriction. Most Americans don't know, for example, that America's abortion laws put us in the category of other nations like China and North Korea, Mm. and that most Western nations, particularly in the part of the EU, have all kinds of restrictions on abortion access, the kind that were called draconian and anti-woman. There's so much misinformation, mm-hmm. and I just ratted off a whole bunch of them, <laughs> and there's a whole lot more. We'll write them down. Uh, you, we have yeah. to write them down. And <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. we, but we need to. There, but there's so much misinformation around what abortion is, about what abortion does, and around what this uh, decision will do uh, and where the states fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we need to be truth tellers. Mm-hmm. Now, we need to do it without being jerks, as mm-hmm. you said. We don't need to do that, but a great way— 
to do that tactically is by becoming really good question askers. When we're in a conversation with someone who is using inappropriate language to refer to women who have chosen abortion or is basically telling things that aren't true about abortion is this fundamental question, hey, what do you mean by that? And how do you know that's true? Mm -hmm. Those two questions can be in your back pocket. When someone makes a claim like, you know, uh, this removes a woman's right to choose, what do you mean by right to choose? Does a woman have a right to choose absolutely anything? Is there any limits on a woman's choices? What would they be? Mm -hmm. And you can have this dialogue and conversation, and we have a responsibility to have this conversation. Sorry, let me just say one more quick thing. The Supreme Court, if this decision comes down, uh, as we think it will, did its job. Its job is to look at laws, look at bad decisions, and promote justice. What the Supreme Court cannot do is end abortion, change hearts and minds. For abortion to become unthinkable, it's not the job of the Supreme Court. It's not even the job of state legislatures, although a lot of state legislatures now have a job in front of them, and many of them are doing it. Some of them are not. Many of them are. Uh, We all have a job to do because we have friends and neighbors and people around us who find themselves in these difficult situations. So let's support pregnancy resource centers. Let's be courageous enough to have the conversations we need to have. Let's be clear enough on what the issues are and what the truth is to be able to tell the truth. Yeah. If every Christian does those three things, we're going we're gonna to see some remarkable change happening in, in culture. Yeah. Well, and let's love people at all ages and stages. I mean, we know that the pro-life continuum here at Focus on the Family, we affirm that in, in all. It's not just about the pre-born. Um, but... Also, the women who are choosing to have their babies. Another story, you guys, and Robin, I want you to, to finish with this. Um, I, again, had I was talking to a friend, this was a couple of months ago, who was talking about another friend that she had who had an unplanned pregnancy, chose to keep the baby. Uh, her dad, who was a pastor, basically disowned her because she got pregnant out of wedlock. And again, this is where I'm like, church, we've got to be doing better. We've got to be loving people and celebrating life and being like, you chose to keep your baby. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. How can we support you? How can we jump in? And we've had stories like that here on The Boundless Show um, with couples who have done that and seen the church rally around them. And it's so cool to see. Robin, tell us about what is happening next Tuesday night, June 14th, Sea Life 2022. How can people get involved? Why do they need to get involved and what can they expect? The reason they need to get involved is exactly what John said. The key to these conversations is education. Misinformation, disinformation, that's one of the reasons we do these Sea Life events is to have people come in and listen to why. Why am I pro-life? Yeah, well, how do I defend that? How do I have the correct tone and message so that I'm not the one that's being the jerk? Mm-hmm. That is so key. But it's also to really recognize what it looks like in a post-row environment and how the church can get involved. We have so many staff that are coming. We have pastors that are attending. We have guests that are attending. And it really is our desire to educate them on how they can get involved locally. John, you said it. You know, supporting your local pregnancy center, supporting a church that really has an outreach to these young women is a key to that young woman feeling accepted. Mm-hmm. Choosing life is a brave decision, regardless of whether she chooses to carry and parent or chooses to carry and make an adoption plan. That's what our Sea Life event is about, is equipping and educating the everyday person to do extraordinary things. And we can do this together. And I agree with John 100%. It is not the Supreme Court's decision to change hearts. Mm-hmm. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Let the Holy Spirit use us. 
that's that's why we do the Sea Life event. Come get involved in person online. You can find all the information at focusonthefamily.com. And just really, really um, lean in. Lean in, listen, ask great questions, um, and educate yourself in a way that you can make an impact in your community. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, again, I, I referenced Tuesday, June 14th. That is just coming up next week. It's going to be 7 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time, so 9 p.m. Eastern. You can register at focusonthefamily.com slash life 2022 um, And it will be available online, and you can actually be there live with us as we have all the speakers and other folks involved um, that Robin was talking about. So make sure that you know that. I also want to give a shout out because we like kind of giving y'all something to latch on to, uh, too, in these shows. Um, you know, we talked to John about this in the past, but he has a book titled The Practical Guide to Culture, Helping the Next Generation Navigate Today's World, which is a great example of how this issue and many others are available for us to discuss, for us to be informed on, and for us to have conversations that really love people in these spaces. And so we want to make uh, his book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. If you go to boundless.org, um, you will actually see the book cover there uh, on this episode, and you can click on that, give a gift, whatever you can afford for what Boundless does that you already love, and we will send you John's book as a thank you. So, John and Robin, thank you both for being part of this conversation. I appreciate it. You thank you. I was watching and waiting for something to change Looking for someone to come in and save the day As we finish out the show, we open up our inbox, which is where we answer one of your questions. And this week, I get to answer our listener's question, and it's a relationship one, specifically about a breakup. So here we go. Our listener says, what is Boundless's take on the no contact rule after a breakup? Some folks say you need to cut off all communication forever or wait until the ex-boyfriend or girlfriend establishes contact. And some say to give it time before you try and reach out again. I've also heard others say to not break off contact if it was a fairly healthy relationship and it just didn't work out for various reasons. What are your thoughts? 
Well, this is a great question. And it's one that, you know, there can be ambiguity around because it is like, whoa, okay, what happened here? And how do we move forward? And can we be adults about this? Um, I think as far as timing and contact and stuff like that, it depends on a couple of things. One is the emotional state of each person. If this was a really hard breakup and the person, you know, one or both people were pretty invested in it. Um, I think it's going to be hard to just go on as though nothing has happened or the, though this was really healthy or whatever. So you've got to give appropriate time and space. So this may be a short time, depending on how people heal. It may be a long time. It may be forever, you know, especially a relationship that just didn't end well. Uh, there was hurt on one or both sides. So, I mean, I would say, though, that ideally, and this is why I love people to kind of back script their relationships before they even get in them. If the relationship was conducted healthily, ideally, you can be friends after you break up. You know, I always say, you've heard me say it here before, you shouldn't have to switch churches after a breakup. You shouldn't have to leave your small group. You shouldn't have to start divvying out friends like, you know, weird divorce situation or something. Um, you should be able to to make that happen. But I would say that maybe just a little pause and some time and space is going to be helpful. So I would say in light of that, what does that look like? You know, it means you have broken up, so you're not going to go and find this person on their social media accounts and stalk them to see if they've started going out with someone else or if they're talking about you with their friends. You're going to cut the gossip chain right away. Um, it also means you're not going to check in with their friends to see how they're doing or what they're up to. You're not going to go to their mom who became your best friend and uh, check in with her and find out what what she knows or what she feels. You know, you're going to uh, make this happen in a way that, you know, two grownups are involved. The relationship didn't work out. You know, it's a great time. We've We've published articles on this at Boundless about... What did you learn from the relationship? I mean, process it and figure out what you would do differently next time. But you don't need to completely overanalyze it and rehash and go back to the person and make it, you know, some big drama fest. So I would say, again, you can probably read the situation pretty well and, and figure out like, hey, where are you guys? How did you end up on the same page? Did you both just decide, yeah, you know, this isn't really going to work out. There's not much there, but, you know, we want to remain friends. We go to the same church. We maybe do ministry together. That is all great. And if you can make that happen, then excellent. But don't force it. Again, be deferential to the other person. Where's their heart in this? Was this hard? Did someone dump the other person? Was there just some stuff there that maybe didn't go down well? Make sure you give it that space. But hopefully... In the future, there can at least be a level of acquaintance uh, reestablished. And, you know, you know that you can kind of go back and circle back and be a person's friend when you genuinely wish the best for them. And, uh, you know, sometimes that <laughs> that takes time. And so let that happen and just prayerfully go after that situation. And I think you'll be in a good spot. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. We always want to hear from you. So write to us at editor at boundless.org and submit a question that we could answer in the future. Or you can just let us know what you've been thinking about the shows, maybe a favorite guest, a favorite topic, something that you haven't heard that you'd love for us to cover. We would love to hear from you. I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of boundless.org. Focus on the family.